Endometriosis is a common gynecological problem that people suffer with for years before getting a diagnosis. Today, Hannah is chatting with Dr. Shaley Isles, a gynecologist who sees many women who suffer from this condition. They'll chat about what it is, who gets it, and the complexities around the condition. Today on the podcast, we are discussing endometriosis. This is a common gynecological problem that affects about one in 10 women of reproductive age. Sadly, it's often diagnosed late and can significantly impact the quality of life for women who suffer from it. To give us some information about endometriosis, I'm joined today by Dr. Shaley Isles. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you for asking me. I know you have a very busy life, so I really appreciate your time today. My pleasure. Now, just some, I guess, background for the listeners of the show. Shaley, you're an obstetrician and gynecologist in Newcastle. That's right. And you also used to be my boss and my supervisor. Oh, a number of years ago, but now we're just colleagues. I feel like when you got an email from me a few months ago being like, I'm starting a podcast, want to come on it, you must have just thought I'd completely lost the plot. Oh, look, it's um, it's opened me up to a whole new world, um, which will help me help put me in good stead for uh, relating to my children, who will know far more about this than I will, I'm sure. <laughs> so just on that, can you, I guess, just tell us a bit about yourself? Um, so like you said, I'm an obstetrician gynaecologist in Newcastle, New South Wales. I um, have been working exclusively in women's health for the last 18 years and something I've always been passionate about. Um, also a solo parent to my four school-age children and I also have three cats um, and I've worked out that balance is just about right. <laughs> but it means that I don't have a lot of spare time. Yes, I was just exactly, you know, why I'm saying thank you so much because <laughs> I, I imagine the combination of doing obstetrics and all that goes along with that, you know, on call, through the night, going into work and having four kids is not very conducive to having heaps and heaps of sleep. No, if, <laughs> if you mind getting up in the middle of the night, it's a pretty dumb career choice. <laughs> but a very worthwhile one. Oh, look, I love it. I love it. It's a great job. So, Shaley, I guess you would see quite a lot of endometriosis in your daily work. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. I see uh, both a lot of young women um, and who are going through the pathway of diagnosing what what are their symptoms, is this endometriosis, and also a reasonable number of women who are later in their reproductive life who've been managing this for a number of years and looking at fine-tuning how they're managing this and getting on with life. Yeah. So we might um, go back to basics, I guess. Can you just explain for us what endometriosis actually is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the name for the cells and the tissue that line the uterus is the endometrium. So that's the medical name for those cells. And what endometriosis is, is that tissue in the wrong place. And really commonly that's in the side walls of the pelvis, on the ovaries, and it can cause cysts to grow on the ovaries, in the fold between the uterus and the bowels at the top of the vagina. It can happen on the bowel, it can happen on the bladder, and really it can happen anywhere else in the body. Okay. So I guess knowing that, how many different places it can happen, it kind of makes sense why not everyone has exactly the same 
symptoms. Yeah, absolutely. And we also know there's not a direct relationship between the amount of disease somebody has and the symptoms they have. So you can have two women who've got the same amount of tissue in the same place who have completely different experiences of endometriosis. Yeah, okay. We know that tissue grows with the hormones from the ovaries in the same way that the endometrium grows from the hormones from the ovary every month. Um, And when the woman isn't pregnant and has a period, that bleeding also occurs in the endometriosis elsewhere in the body. And that causes inflammation and can cause scarring. And that's why the main symptom that most women feel is pain. Yes. Okay. And do we know why people get this endometrial tissue outside of the uterus? We don't. We don't yet understand why why it happens. And there hasn't been a lot of research into endometriosis in the past. And part of that is, you know, this is obviously a condition that occurs solely in women. And it's also part of the reason why the federal government released their national action plan for endometriosis, um, which they only just released uh, in uh, mid-2018. And they finally allocated some funding for research into endometriosis. And that's one of the questions that they're hoping to look into. There's a whole bunch of theories and as with many things, there's theories about genes and certainly if you've got a family member with endometriosis, a woman is at a much greater chance of having endometriosis herself, somewhere in the range of 10 times the background population rates. There's theory about backflow from... um, periods so uh, bleeding from the periods not just coming out through the vagina but also flowing up backwards through the tubes Mm -hmm. into the abdomen and that tissue implanting in the abdomen we don't know why for some women it would implant and grow and for other women not and there's also theories about just the tissue in the abdomen changing into endometriosis type tissue oh okay i didn't know that (laughs) i'm learning too that's good so who who tends to get endometriosis obviously we don't know exactly why it happens but is there a particular group of women that are at risk you know obviously it's women and it's women of reproductive age so um, it's very much something that only happens in after women start getting their periods and we know that women who get their periods early um, so before they're 11 years old have a greater chance of getting it as we talked about the women who have um, family members with endometriosis are a much greater chance of having endometriosis and women who otherwise have heavy frequent periods so periods that last more than five or six days periods that come more often than about every 26 27 days those women have greater chance of having endometriosis as well okay. yeah and it's really exciting I guess that funding that's coming for research into endometriosis because one of the tricky things is that as we were kind of saying before not everyone has the same symptoms and some people don't have any symptoms so it's really tricky to work out exactly how many people have endo and that kind of stuff too to to kind of work out why as well absolutely like you said um, the estimates about one in every 10 women of reproductive age but we know it could be even higher because there could be a whole lot of women out there who do have endometriosis but who don't have symptoms who or who are managing their symptoms and they don't have a big impact on quality of life so they don't present for care and they don't get a diagnosis I mean this means that every listener to your podcast would know somebody or be themselves somebody with endometriosis and because it's really really common the impact on the community is really huge and providing good care is really important it is really exciting the research uh, dollars and hopefully this will help 
you know, one of the biggest issues with endometriosis, and I'm sure many of the women who listen would know, is that there's that really big delay between when women first start presenting for care with their symptoms and when they finally get their diagnosis. And for some women, that can be up to 10 years mm. of presenting for help before somebody finally goes, this is what is happening and this is what we need to do about it. Yeah. And, like, it must just be so frustrating for women who, you know, we often don't take period pain seriously or pelvic pain seriously and... Mm. Um, yeah, I think it's good that it's drawing some attention now because these women do live with a lot of disability almost oh, from abs- their disease. Absolutely. And, and we see that a lot with young women where they get told, yep, everybody gets period pain. This is just normal. You just need to cope. This isn't a problem. Um, and we know that the pain that some women with endometriosis get isn't normal. Yep. Um, and it's not, it is a problem and we do need to look into it and we do need to provide help and not just go, this isn't a problem. Yeah. You just need to cope because that's not it's not right and it's not reasonable. Yeah. So what is the kind of pain that people get when they have endometriosis? Well, I guess pain is the, the most common symptom. Um, and certainly in younger women, almost universally, pain uh, is a pro- primary symptom. In older women with endometriosis, sometimes other symptoms are more predominant. Usually it starts out pain with the periods and then commonly the pain starts up just before the bleeding starts so fairly commonly when you talk to women with endometriosis they go yep I know my periods are coming because for 24 hours beforehand I start taking my pain relief lots of women get sex pain so often very deep pain deep in the vagina but they can also get pelvic floor spasm and so have sort of surface pain with sex as well Um, women can get pain with weeing and particularly after they've emptied their bladder, uh, bowel pain, bowel spasms, pain from cysts in the ovaries. So if the endometriosis grows into large cysts, um, that can cause difficulties. Some women get pain mid-cycle, so when they ovulate or release the egg every yeah. month. Other women get things like um, difficulties with falling pregnant if they're trying to have babies. So, And for some women, that's how they get diagnosed, as if they've got delays in fertility. And... Unfortunately for many women with chronic pain and as we talked about that delay in diagnosis and that long time where people aren't really hearing that what's happening to them isn't, is, is a big deal and is in, impacting on their life, um, a significant number of women get sort of psychological concerns, hmm. which is really normal and common with anyone yeah. living with chronic pain. And with those, you know, 10 or so symptoms you've just rattled off that are all quite, you know, potentially significant, you can totally understand how it would take a toll on your general mood and well-being. Oh, absolutely. And in addition to dealing with the pain symptoms, you're then dealing with people who aren't believing you or aren't taking it seriously. Yeah. And there's no doubt that that would impact on people. Yeah. And I guess too, for some some people the the pain is significant enough that they need time off work and school and all of that just makes it all worse again. (laughs) Oh absolutely so it really impacts on your functioning in society, impacts on school, impacts on work, impacts on relationships, impacts on your ability to to be active and connected to your community and all Mm -hmm. of those impact on your long-term well-being as well and part of that's the reason why the national priorities um occurring as well is because that has a huge impact on us as a community um, in you know school days and work days lost. So how do you actually diagnose endometriosis if you suspect it in in a woman? Yep so look most women with symptoms are largely managed by their general practitioners so um, 
the GPs often would start a range of conservative treatments that are available for managing particularly pain um, and it's only if those treatments aren't working or they haven't adequately treated it then the general practitioners would refer them along to someone like myself so a specialist gynaecologist and I'm seeing more and more in my practice now um, that GPs aren't really aware of this and women are coming along having tried a whole bunch of different things and the question that they're coming to me with is, is this endometriosis? So more and more the GPs are thinking about it and going, I've tried all of these things, things still aren't working, is this what we're dealing with, where do we go from here? So what kind of tests are available to answer that question? Is this truly endometriosis or not? Yep. So once you see a gynaecologist, they'll ask you lots of questions about your period history. So it sometimes can be a little bit confrontational when you go and see someone and the first time you meet, they ask all about your periods and your sex life. But ask about when your periods start, what your period's like, any other gynaecological problems that you've had, and just a little bit about you and your general health as well. And depending on the age of the woman, because certainly some women show up with this quite young in their reproductive lives so I start seeing women who are you know 13 and 14 would be the youngest women that I'm seeing who are presenting with these symptoms then look at doing an examination so an abdominal abdominal examination and a pelvic examination and there are specific things that you're looking for on the pelvic examination that can be related to endometriosis so just for those sorry people that don't know what what is a pelvic examination? What does that involve practically? <laughs> yep. So that involves uh, removing the clothing from your bottom half and a gynecologist will have a look at the skin on the outside of your vulva, um, usually pass a speculum, which is the instrument used with the cervical screening test. For many young women or women who aren't yet sexually active, often that bit would be omitted. And, and for some women, this is the first time that that happens. So um, the person doing that, you know, should show you the instrument, explain to you how it works. And then do an internal examination with um, two fingers inside the vagina and then they'll be feeling for the uterus and the ovaries and the ligaments and muscles in the pelvis and looking for evidence of endometriosis there. Mm. So are you able to, in some situations, diagnose endometriosis from doing an examination like that? On rare occasions. So women with quite extensive disease, um, you can certainly feel nodules of endometriosis on the ligaments deep in the pelvis or feel ovarian cysts that would make it be more likely. But ultimately, the only way to actually make a diagnosis of endometriosis is by laparoscopy, so keyhole surgery, putting a camera into the abdomen through a small cut in the belly button and having a look. Yeah. So why is it that some people would have that operation done to maybe take a biopsy and check what that tissue is and have a good look, whereas some women will have no tests at all and some will have like an ultrasound maybe or... Yeah, why is there a difference, I guess, is what I'm asking. Yeah, I guess it's it's, it's much about quality of life. So if your symptoms are adequately controlled with treatments and your quality of life is good and you'll be able to get on and do what you need to do, then you don't necessarily need more investigations because having a name for your symptoms doesn't change whether you're managing your symptoms or not. It's just having a name for it. So there's kind of the two pathways. One is what is the name for what is happening? And the other one, which is probably more important, is... How do I help what is happening so I have quality of life and my symptoms are managed? And that's probably the more important one. So really, if the conservative treatments control your symptoms, you don't necessarily need more investigations. Most women who get to see me will have had an ultrasound and that's looking for cysts and looking for evidence of big deposits of endometriosis. And 
Again, I often then optimise treatments, optimise other conservative management, and it was only if you can't adequately control the treatments, that's where surgery fits in. Yeah. So often women that come to see me, many of them have already had a very good trial of conservative management and some of them are at the point at which surgery is the right thing to do. But for some of them, we can fine tune things and go, let's give that a go for six months. But in six months, if things aren't significantly better, that's the right time to do surgery. Yes. And I guess it's also relevant to mention that one of the other reasons you just don't go around doing surgery on everyone is because it has inherent risks in and of itself. So, Oh, absolutely. Surgery is without risk. And a generally good philosophy in life is if you can avoid surgery, you should. Yeah. Um, and that's for, that's for all surgery. Um, I guess the other thing is that what we call a diagnostic, diagnostic laparoscopy, so just putting the camera in and having a look, doesn't help. So yeah. it gives a name to the symptoms but actually does nothing to improve quality of life. So when you do have laparoscopy, it should be a treatment laparoscopy and the yeah. gold standard is the laparoscopy with an excisional biopsy and that tissue gets sent off to the pathologist and have a look to confirm that it is endometriosis. Because it is a chronic medical condition that does need to be managed for a very long time. So before a woman starts down that pathway of going, you've got this chronic condition that you might be managing for the next 30 years, you want to know that that's real. Yeah, for sure. And just, I guess, on the topic of ultrasound, you mentioned there's specific things that you're looking for Mm -hmm. but correct me if I'm wrong but you can have a plum normal ultrasound and still have very real endometriosis absolutely because ultrasound will pick up extensive disease so ultrasound will pick up disease when you've got big cysts on your ovaries Um, if you've got very very extensive disease in your bowel and the back of the vagina specialist women's ultrasound providers can diagnose that but the majority of women with mild or moderate disease and I call mild or moderate in terms of the number of deposits not the number of symptoms will have a completely normal ultrasound but when they do have the laparoscopy have a large number of deposits of endometriosis in their pelvis. Yeah okay that's very helpful to to be aware of because I think some people might have an ultrasound it's normal and then they feel quite disheartened because well what explains my symptoms then yeah look and I guess the possibility as well is that there will be some women who'll go through this whole pathway and who have a laparoscopy and everything is structurally normal so you have a look and the uterus the tubes the ovaries everything does look completely normal and there's no evidence of endometriosis deposits at all and that's actually really useful as well because what that does is say you don't have endometriosis it doesn't say you don't have pain you don't have your other symptoms it just says you don't go down that pathway treating a disease that you don't have you then need to look at hormonal uterine cramp causes musculoskeletal causes nerve overactivity causes so it's not saying that you don't have pain you don't have symptoms but it's guiding which way to look yeah so even if you do end up with surgery that is completely normal that's useful information yeah and at the end of the day no one's really walking into your office I don't imagine and saying I have endometriosis let's manage it they come in with things like I have really bad period pain or I have you know they don't come in with the diagnosis already no not at all women women come and talk to me because they have symptoms that they need help in managing and often that what they want to do is go tell me what what my options are tell me about what the risks and benefits of these options are and then make a choice about what fits with them and with their lives and what their goals of treatment are so I see some women whose main priority is pain management but I see other women who 
don't want to have heavy periods anymore or I see women whose main priority is wanting to have a baby. And so what you do for those women is different because their goals are different. Yeah, for sure. And just in terms, I guess, of managing endometriosis, obviously you've already mentioned there's quite a number of different options available. Is there anything that people can do that doesn't involve any surgery or any medications, just like lifestyle kind of stuff that can help? Um, so there there are some lifestyle things that are related. I think the, the, the two big ones that all women that I see with period pain that I talk to about is managing their bowel function. And usually, you know, that's often by diet and dietary fibre. But um, many women, and particularly many young women, find it difficult to eat enough dietary fibre. And I talk to them about adding things like psyllium husks or um, benny fibre, which is a lot easier to swallow than psyllium <laughs> husks. And, and really, any, any woman with endometriosis really should be on some kind of fibre supplement every day for the right. rest of her life. You can imagine that if you've got any inflammation or difficulty in your pelvis, any pain that's caused by bowel spasm is just going to make it worse yeah okay so anything you can do to reduce any possible contribution of your bowel function is important the other thing that there is good exercise for is exercise yeah so any exercise that gets you hot and sweaty at least three times a week the endorphin release helps with the pain and also helps with that sort of psychological impact that we were talking about and helps in managing the pain yeah okay so handy things to put in the toolkit before you even see the <laughs> doctor. Before, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I guess the next step is looking at pain relief. Yeah. Okay. So most women who come to see me have tried a whole bunch of different pain reliefs. When people use pain relief, they tend to save it until things are really mm. bad. And they think I'll cope and I'll cope and I'll cope and I'll wait until things are really bad. And pain relief doesn't work that way. So once things get really bad and you take your pain relief, you never catch up and then yep. you just have to write it out. For women who have this pain with their periods and they know it's coming and they say it's coming I would encourage them to go the other way to be taking it regularly at maximum doses for that three or four days when things are really bad and it's usually sort of a combination of an anti-inflammatory medication so you know most people know ibuprofen which you know brand name Nurofen that you can just buy in Coles and paracetamol yep. you know commonly known as Panadol and those can work well together um, and that for many women, they can get significant relief if they just take more pain relief yeah. for that short period of time. And how often do you hear people come in and say, oh, I don't like taking tablets or I avoid it? And it's, yeah, it's hard to kind of retrain the way we think about pain relief. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. To train, to train that way from don't take it or save it till things are really bad to going, you know, this is going to be really bad. It's really bad every month. It's okay to take a treatment that's going to help you to live your life for that period of time. Yeah. And so that's obviously the fairly simple stuff that people can get over the counter. What kind of other medical treatments are available? So often when people see their GPs, um, GPs will talk to them about hormonal suppression. And really, this is the mainstay of medical treatment of endometriosis. Because we know that endometriosis grows from particularly the estrogen released from the ovaries, suppressing the hormonal influence is aimed at stopping the growth of the endometriosis deposits. So it's aimed at stopping the bleeding, stopping the inflammation, stopping the scarring, and hoping that this then reduces pain. So yep. the main goal about hormonal treatment is reducing pain. And many women, particularly many young women, the GPs will talk to them about going on the oral contraceptive pill. And the goal 
is not contraception. The goal is suppressing hormones to treat the endometriosis. Added bonus contraception, which (laughs) is not a bad thing, but the purpose of that medication is to treat the endometriosis. Yeah. So lots of people, because I did a bit of a shout out on the Instagram page when you kindly said you would come on the show just to see if anyone had any burning questions. And it actually came up quite a lot. Um, a few people asking why is my GP just putting me on the pill to mask my symptoms rather than doing anything to actually treat it but yeah so the, the pill is a treatment for the endometriosis and particularly the progesterone part of the pill so progest- progestogens are the synthetic progesterone so progesterone is one of the normal hormones that the ovaries make and progestogens are the synthetic versions and combined pills have those they actually treat the endometriosis implants by stopping their growth and can actually shrink and reduce the endometrial implants as well um, which reduces the symptoms but I guess there's no treatment that exists that you just take and it fixes it endometriosis is a chronic condition so women with endometriosis will be managing this from when it's onset is a year or two after they first get their periods all the way up until menopause and so they should expect that they'll need long-term treatment which will vary over the course of their life depending on what their goals are for sure yeah and just you mentioned that it's kind of the progesterone components that is actually helpful so we've kind of talked in other episodes about different hormonal treatments that have only progesterone so Mm -hmm. can things like marina or the implanon also be used yeah absolutely um so there are a number of women who for various reasons can't take the combined pill for other medical reasons for if they've got migraines things like that the progesterone-only contraceptives um, are highly effective at shrinking the endometriosis deposits as well. So there are obviously the implants, the injections, the IUD that you've talked about in your other podcasts. And very commonly women who proceed to laparoscopy make a decision to have an IUD placed at the time regardless of findings to hope that if there is endometriosis and that if that is treated by excision or by cautery at the time, that the Mirena will then be in place helping to shrink any cells that are left behind and prevent any new deposits from growing. Yeah, okay. So again, that's probably really helpful for a lot of people to know because there's so many reasons why people either can't have the pill or don't want the pill or if they've had bad experiences. So And none of us are good at taking pills no, every day. Exactly. You can be the most so, motivated person in the world yeah. and you still forget pills, miss pills, get yeah. up with bleeding. Uh, some of the other progesterone uh, methods that you talked about are also highly effective at controlling heavy periods. So, um, And for some of them, women end up with no periods at all. Yeah. Even for women who are on the pill, we often skip the inactive pills, so skip the periods on the pill with a goal that if most of your symptoms are at the time of bleeding, if we can prevent bleeding, hopefully we'll prevent most of your symptoms. Yeah, and I guess particularly relevant for this group because, as you mentioned heavy periods is one of the risk factors for endo so absolutely so often often it sort of treats true symptoms at the same time yeah so other than those hormonal treatments are there any other I guess medical therapies out there um very rarely there are things like um what's known as a GnRH agonist so these are injections that are done usually through gynecologists which essentially put you into a medical menopause 
So they mm. switch your ovaries off completely. It comes with the price of menopausal symptoms, mm. so the hot flushes and night sweats, and they're uh, pretty average. Mm. <laughs> so some women then need add-back therapy. They also have a potential impact on bone loss as the hormones change after menopause. So they're a really, a really short-term treatment. Yep. Some women do get very effective symptom relief from them, but unfortunately it's a six-month or less Thing and they're often best used as in, as part of planning for bigger surgeries. Yeah, okay. And definitely okay. won't be jumping to that as the first port. Definitely of not, definitely yeah. not. That would be very much a um, done with a specialist gynecologist as part of a plan for extensive surgery. Yeah. And so I guess that's all the medical stuff generally. Who should be considered to have surgery? You've kind of touched on it already, but... Yeah, so I think if you've optimised all of those things and, you know, for some women it's a bit of trial and error finding a hormonal treatment that suits them. So as you talked about, there's a whole bunch of reasons why people can't or don't like taking different treatments. All medications have side effects and so it's a balance between is it treating my symptoms, what is the goal of this medication versus what are the side effects and how am I managing the side effects and are the side effects worse than the problem I'm trying to treat in the first place. And it can take a bit of trial and error to find the one that suits um, because the thing that suits your friend or your sister isn't necessarily going to be the thing that suits you and that will change over the course of life as well. But really if you've optimise all of those things and your symptoms are still really impacting on your quality of life that's really where surgery has a really important role yeah so I guess it's all about that risk benefit you know if you're at that point when nothing's working and your quality of life is really shocking obviously it's going to be worth those potential risks yeah absolutely and that's when you have that conversation about what are the risks of surgery what are the benefits of surgery what can surgery do what can surgery not do So uh, it's important to be realistic that for many women, surgery does improve their symptoms but doesn't necessarily completely eliminate their symptoms. For some women, surgery makes no difference to their symptoms at all. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's important to be realistic about what the possible outcomes of surgery are. Um, And for some women, they get good relief for a period of time, but then six months, 12 months, two years later, the symptoms come back. So some women end up having one or two laparoscopies over the course of their life, and some women need multiple surgeries. It's a really individual thing. Yeah, that's the general message I'm getting, that this is very much tailored to each individual patient. So I guess one question that might be of interest to some people is that obviously if we're using contraceptives to manage endometriosis and then they want to fall pregnant, are they just kind of resigned to the fact that their symptoms are going to get really horrendously bad when they come off the pill or have their marina removed? Um, horrendously bad. <laughs> is, is, uh, I'm probably, pro- not probably, using- <laughs> probably not the phrase I would use in a consultation. Yeah. But look, I think as for any woman who is planning to have a baby, the first point of call is go and see your GP and do a pre-pregnancy checkup. And they will give you advice about taking folic acid, give you advice about vaccinations, look at optimising all of your health conditions, look at what medication you're taking. And, and endometriosis is part of that. And then I'd say to those women, you stop your hormonal treatment when you're ready to actively try and fall pregnant. So for women with endometriosis, I would say if you're ready or wanting to have a baby, you should be ready to actively try rather than just not actively prevent, if you understand the difference. (laughs) Um, and, And it is unfortunate that for some women, their symptoms do progress when they're not taking the hormonal treatments depending on how long you've been on them for and how much suppression of the endometriosis you have depends on how quickly that 
that will happen. But my general advice would be um, to all women, don't wait till you're 40 to have babies <laughs> <laughs> because age is still the biggest impact on fertility. But if women who do know that they have endometriosis have been actively trying to have a baby for six months and they haven't fallen pregnant, that's the time to start seeking help. Yeah. Okay. And I guess some people with endometriosis also struggle with fertility why is that yeah look we we don't exactly know why we do know that somewhere sort of around 40 to 50 percent of women with a known endometriosis can have issues with falling pregnant um, and that's thought to be due to the endometriosis but it's important to know that there are very many women with endometriosis who don't have difficulty falling pregnant and we know that you know even women with very mild or moderate disease can have challenges with fertility so there's sort of going to be research looking into is there a sort of a chemical issue something in the endometriosis that's toxic to the sperm or impacts on egg quality for women with severe disease so quite a lot of scar tissue and adhesions and big ovarian cysts that can also impact on things like blocked tubes and things but we mm-hmm. think for most women that's not the case okay so why does surgery for some people improve their chances or does it not yeah so it does um so for, for women with moderate to severe de- disease the first six months after surgery is the highest time for fertility and we know there's a significant improvement so the, for women who are trying to have a baby even if their symptoms are well controlled that's often an indication for surgery so if you've been trying for six months haven't been able to fall pregnant even if your symptoms aren't bad surgery can often significantly improve your fertility Um, particularly for those sort of women with more extensive disease less of an impact with women who don't have as much disease but of course ultimately we usually only know that once you're actually at surgery yes of course So we might move along to some questions uh, people have sent in through Instagram now. And the first one's quite interesting. Um, This person's asked if people can have no symptoms of endometriosis, but we know it can make people infertile, why don't we just screen everyone for it? Uh, So screening's really interesting because that that is a true screening test, um, which is people without symptoms. um, Because if people have symptoms, it's a diagnostic test. In order to do screening tests, you have to have a good test. and you have to have something to do with the result so we don't have a good screening test for endometriosis so as we talked about you can have a completely normal ultrasound and have endometriosis people have looked at blood tests and particularly there's a blood test called a ca125 which is so anything that causes inflammation in your abdomen can cause that to rise so that's really non-specific and not recommended for endometriosis and even if we did have a good screening test at the moment we don't have a good treatment that fixes it yeah so we don't have a good test and we don't have a good treatment to fix it for people who don't have a problem yeah so, so the end really of the day, you just there's be just managing. risk risk without benefit yeah yeah <laughs> and probably a lot of wasted money as well there we would find a lot of ovarian cysts that yes. were just normal that would end up with surgery to treat things that weren't there and weren't yeah. ever going to cause a problem and cause women a lot of worry and anxiety yes. as well it's a slippery slope isn't it absolutely don't look for things that you don't want to find exactly so this person's asked although my periods are stopped by zoli which is one type of contraceptive pill it's a combined pill that only has a four-day break mm-hmm. yeah so although her periods are stopped by that she still has pain does that mean that the endo is active it can do it can be that the endometriosis is active it can be that 
she's got some scar tissue from old inflammation. It can be that the nerves that send the, the sensation are overactive. So we know when people have pain, and particularly chronic pain, the nerves that send the pain messages up to the spinal cord and the brain can get switched on to send messages. And even when the cause of the pain's gone, the nerves don't get switched off. Yep. So the nerves keep sending the messages going, there's a problem, there's a problem, there's a problem, yeah. when the problem's actually been fixed. Yeah. And we know that that can very much happen with women with endometriosis. And part of that explains why over time, if it's not well treated, you can get pain throughout the month. Yes. Even though you aren't actually hormonally active at that time. Yeah, got you. So this one just says, not a question, but once I read an article about a woman whose knee bled monthly and they couldn't figure out why, and then they were going to amputate and they ended up finding endo in her knee. I have no idea about the credibility of this. That sounds like the best clickbait article (laughs) ever, doesn't it? So um, I guess like we talked about, there are common places to have endometriosis and there are rare places. And certainly we do know about women who have endometriosis in their chest cavity, endometriosis in the brain. It's not... uh, not feasible that it is in the knee i think the 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 key is that is monthly bleeding is always a red flag there's something (laughs) hormonal going on here um i think endometrio amputation for endometriosis is pretty hardcore though it does we didn't cover that in the management section finally (laughs) no no not on the list and certainly not in my field of expertise (laughs) are you aware of any kind of organizations or services that work with people who have chronic pain from endometriosis so um looking sort of online resources um i I really like the information that's available on the gene hales website yeah so genehales.org.au so they've got really good evidence-based health information um that's an australian website as you know the internet has a myriad of information of variable quality (laughs) um so i i really like that as sort of an introduction to to what's going on um endometriosis australia has quite a good website and Mm. they have sort of there are lots of blogs and forums as well and they can be really useful to connect with other women who are experiencing their version of endometriosis and and often that value in shared experience to go this is this is who i am this is what i'm feeling i'm not alone like this and and often patient support groups can give information about you know I tried this have you tried this and sort of thoughts and ideas about things that people can try to see what does and doesn't suit them for managing their symptoms for sure well thank you very much you are a wealth of knowledge and I really (laughs) appreciate your time chatting to us about endo today no thank you very much Hannah so just to summarize what we've chatted about today endometriosis is a common problem that affects reproductive age women. It can cause symptoms such as painful periods, chronic pelvic pain, pain with sex and problems with fertility, but there's a very large spectrum of disease, so not everyone has the same symptoms. Uh, And similarly, the management for endometriosis is not a one-size-fits-all. Everything needs to be tailored to your individual circumstances. I'll link those resources that Shaylee's mentioned in the show notes, so check them out if you do want to do any further reading. And if you have any questions or comments about what we've discussed today, please feel free to join our Facebook group and we have an Instagram page. Thanks so much. Thank you. 
You to you, you to me, you to us is a podcast for general discussion only. Nothing we talk about should be taken as personal medical advice, and it does not substitute information or instructions given to you by your own doctor. If the podcast raises any questions or concerns for you, please see your GP, sexual health, or family planning clinic. For general discussion, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. And please, stop trusting strangers on the internet with your health. This podcast is a production of Simo Interactive, home of the My Millennial Money podcast. Thank you.